With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 60th episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues. And I also love to provide worldwide listeners with practical tips and actions to help you to improve information security and also to help you to better protect your privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, PodToppin, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website, because if you do, you will be notified just as soon as each new show is available. I sincerely appreciate all of you worldwide who tune in. And as my uh, frequent listeners know, I love to give a shout out to those who are listening. And this week, I want to give a shout out to five cities in the U.S. These are the five cities in the U.S. where I have the most listeners, thousands of listeners in each. So the top listening city in the U.S. is Richardson, Texas followed by Newburyport, Massachusetts, (laughs) Massachusetts, sorry about that, then Mountain View, California, San Jose, California, and then Santa Barbara, California, lots of California West Coast listeners, thank you. Now, outside of the U.S., the cities where I have the most listeners, also in large numbers, are the top one with the most is Dublin, Ireland, followed by Winnipeg, Manitoba, Then after that is Stockholm, Sweden, then Frankfurt, Germany, and then Lanxi, Heilongjung, China. And I apologize if I pronounced any of your cities incorrectly, but you know, all these places would be so exciting to visit, love to travel and see new places. Thank you all for listening. And of course, I appreciate all of you in all of the other cities throughout the world in the, well, at least 62 countries that are listening. Thank you all for tuning in. If any of you are interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my show, please also get in touch. And if you need help with information security or privacy, let me know that too. And keep all of your feedback and questions coming in. I welcome them all and I truly do consider them when I'm planning my shows. Now, here's a reminder. I have a one-day class that I'm teaching at Secure World Expo in the Kansas City, Kansas area on May 7th, and it's called Privacy Impact Assessments and Privacy Frameworks, Effective Tools 
to identify and mitigate security and privacy risks. I'm also going to give the lunch keynote titled Prevent Nightmares in the Internet of Things the next day, May 8th, at the actual Secure World Conference. See more at secureworldexpo.com or just send me a message. Now, I've mentioned this before, and since this is an active project lasting through the beginning of October 2019, so later this year, I'm going to mention it again because I want to raise awareness of this important effort. I'm part of the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, team that's currently creating the NIST Privacy Framework. And we want to get as much feedback from as many different industries, the general public, practitioners, countries, and perspectives as possible. Please go to nist.gov forward slash privacy hyphen framework to see more information and also to provide feedback on the many different documents there. The next privacy framework workshop is May 13th and 14th in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's at Georgia Tech. You can sign up for the workshop at the privacy hyphen framework section of the NIST.gov site also. My April Privacy Professor Tips message was published on March 29th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please sign up for them. I provide them free in an effort to increase general awareness of information security and privacy issues. And I also want to provide a free awareness publication for organizations to send to their employees. Now you can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. Now for my tip for the week. I'm hearing from more and more of my listeners, as well as from my own consulting clients and my tips readers, they are concerned about their Internet of Things or IoT devices in general. And many have particularly voiced concern about all of those personal assistants, such as Alexa, Echo, Siri, Google Assistant, and, you know, there's a growing number of many other types of digital assistants. This is especially timely given the recent news articles that have come out about Alexa claiming to be compliant with the U.S. Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA, regulation. Um, That news is something worth Much more discussion on a different show. However, regarding those devices, keep this in mind. There have been numerous incidents where those devices were listening, recording, and actually took actions such as um, interpreting a statement incorrectly and then sending all email contacts for the person who owned that device a file that the device owner did not want to be sent. It was actually to that person's um, business email contacts. And that was very embarrassing for the person involved. 
There was another instance where um, the device heard something and thought that the device owner wanted to order some items off of Amazon. Well, they really didn't, and those items should not have been ordered, but yet they were. So these are just a couple of situations of one type. Now, these devices have also been accessed in unauthorized ways because those using them did not have their security and privacy controls set. And some devices have also been hacked. Now, oftentimes they're hacked because the passwords they used were weak or they were the default passwords, which everybody knows. But there have also been times when the devices were hacked because the devices themselves lacked sufficient security protections. So my tips for this week regarding these types of listening IoT personal assistant devices are this. Number one, never, never, never use the default password or other settings that came with the device. Now, that information is widely published, it's widely available, and it's widely known. So you don't want to use stuff that's uh, authorizing you and authenticating you that everybody in the world potentially knows. You need to set two-factor authentication for these devices, and the device you use should have that capability. If not, just don't use that device. And then make sure you change the default password. Use a long, strong, complex password. The number two tip is just go ahead and completely turn off and unplug the device when you have guests in your home or when you simply do not want others to potentially hear your conversations or whatever else might be going on in the room. Now, there are many other tips that I could give for these devices, and I'm actually in the process of getting a fabulous guest to discuss this with me in an upcoming show. Now, on another topic, to date, I've done five shows on the EU General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR for short. Now, GDPR is a very large, broad, and in many places, detailed regulation. So I could probably do another 100 or more shows on this topic and still not have exhausted all of the issues involved. One of the issues that I've had several listeners ask about is how should practitioners actually implement the requirements. Many others have talked about what must be done, but comparatively few I've heard have actually discussed how to implement the requirements based on each organization's unique business environment. You know, the devil's in the details, right? Um, You might know what your goal is, but you need to plan for how you're going to meet the goal by getting into those details. Today, for the sixth in my series of shows on GDPR, we're going to discuss the how issues related to how to give individuals, the data subjects, access to their own personal information, how to provide them with portability of the personal data, 
how to determine valid deletion requests and then implement the associated changes and how to effectively give individuals the right to object to how their personal data is used, shared, and so on. Now, I've seen a lot of people point to legal text passages or post policies that are used, and, and those are all very important. And I've even seen some describe some um, personal experiences, but not a lot of actual implementation device. And from, from my experience throughout my career, the actual how of doing compliance requirements is usually the most challenging thing for practitioners um, to actually plan for and deal with. One factor is because each organization has its own unique business environment, right? So the how cannot be the same for all organizations. Each organization needs to thoughtfully consider their own services and products, um, the, the personal data that is involved, their consumers or patients or employees or others, They need to consider all of this to establish the procedures for how to meet compliance that will be most feasible, effective, and efficient for their own situation. So today we will basically be looking at articles 15, 17, 20, and 21 of GDPR. And today I'm so happy to welcome Steve Wright, CEO of Privacy Culture. Steve is an authority on data privacy and cybersecurity and has worked in the industry for over 25 years. And in that time, Steve has held the principal information privacy and data security roles for companies such as John Lewis Partnerships, Unilever. Deloitte, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Siemens, and Capita. Most recently, Steve held the interim position of DPO at the Bank of England. Now today, Steve advises senior leaderships in all things related to the safeguarding of personal data, protecting brand image, and above all, building consumer trust. You can see more in Steve's bio that is posted on my Voice America Business website. Steve, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I am absolutely delighted to be here. And uh, what, what a fantastic introduction. I, I don't think I've had such complimentary introduction ever in all my years. That's so kind. <laughs> Very well. Generous. Well, you're you're so welcome. You've done so much, and that's uh, all that experience. You know, is so valuable, and I'm so happy to have you here to share so much of that experience with my listeners today. So, how long have you been helping organizations and clients with GDPR in particular? Well, with GDPR, as you probably are aware, that um, that's that's actually only been around about five or six years. Um, but I held the position on, of uh, privacy officer um, for a couple of those organisations you mentioned before that, before we had GDPR. Um, so, you know, one of the early challenges that we that we set ourselves is uh, what what and how can we apply a global privacy standard 
um, across, you know, 120 countries that we were operating. So, so very early on, we were looking at um, various different um, uh, lo- re- legal requirements as well as um, constitutional requirements and trying oh. to match best how we complied with those privacy laws around the world. And with the onset of GDPR, as it started to emerge um, and, and, and leaked text was starting to come out mm-hmm. on the internet, we were, mm-hmm. we were able to, to then simply map um, and that I, I would say that was about maybe that was about six seven years ago when we when we saw those leaked text. But yeah, certainly, you know, for me, it's always been about data. Um, right from when I graduated, I was thrown in at the deep end in terms of an insurance company trying to work out how to calculate uh, insurance premiums based on oh. a le- a, based on a level of risk and exposure that the company was facing. And, you know, at, at the heart of that was the data. So what did we know about the amount of claims that they'd made, you know, the types mm-hmm. of individuals involved with those? So very early on in my career as a, as a young man, um, you know, I had, I had, the, I had the luxury of, of just understanding the, the usefulness of that data, the, the, the fantastic um, insights that you could, you know, glean from that data. And, of course, how... Sometimes that data was, you know, more, if you like, sensitive than other times, you know. Um, so really, it, it started yeah, 20, 20, over 25 years ago, um, when I, you know. So, yeah, yeah. great. Absolutely, um, you know, been a great journey with GDPR over the last few years. But um, I think personally, GDPR mm-hmm. is a fantastic framework on which you know every organization should be you know utilizing and and, and holding itself against that and obviously with the you know recent ccpa um you know fantastic for the californias and 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 hopefully more more states will follow um but gdpr has really had such a massive impact on on my life but on many of the organizations that i'm i'm advising at the moment Well, yes. And as you mentioned, and maybe just to provide a quick clarification for some of our listeners, GDPR went into effect last May of 2018, but the planning for it was so many years before that. Yeah. So just uh, in case some of my listeners were wondering about that, but um, definitely there's uh, already been what I think is... um, quite a lot it seems like at least from what I'm seeing from over here in the United States a lot of activity so you know we have a a break coming up in a few minutes but are you surprised by the GDPR enforcement activities that you've seen so far I mean that they're either doing more than you expected or less than they expect than you expected uh, with regard to enforcement activities no, I, I mean, let, let's be honest. Um, the enforcement actions that, that have taken place um, <laughs> in some ways, and, and this may sound a little peculiar, Rebecca, but in some ways we, 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 we were, as, as data protection officers, as you know, we, we've spent so much time and effort um, implementing um, GDPR across our respective organisations that we... we, we 
we almost wanted more more enforcement mm-hmm. action to happen. But to be fair to the regulators, um, and in particular the, in in the UK, the uh, Information Commissioner's Office, um, there have been other distracting things the last few months. Um, <laughs> mm, well, that's true. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to mention the B word, but yes. you know, there have been a few other things on the, on the information commissioner's mind uh, and, and, and that of many CEOs and, and um, CDEOs, or chief data officers across the UK, you know, because we, right. we, <laughs> we need to be able to uh, continue uh, traversing data um, ar- uh, around the world, not just Europe, but but you know more globally, but there have been six, um, five or six actions, enforcement actions that I, you know, the Portuguese, the the Australian, Austrians, um, obviously we had uh, the UK's one, um, Germany, France, uh, the most recent one in, in uh, January of this year. So some oh. really interesting enforcement actions, um, at, but no, nothing of the level that we thought we would um, we would see. Oh, interesting. Well, we have we need to take a quick break right now, but I want to hear more about what you were expecting to see after we come back from our break. So right now, it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. I am speaking today with Steve Wright, CEO of The Privacy Culture and GDPR expert. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as provide show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also, of course, through my PrivacyGuidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold & Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. I'm speaking today with Steve Wright, CEO of the Privacy Culture and GDPR expert. And before we went to our break, we had started talking about some of the activities that um, had actually been applied under GDPR to date. So, Steve, what do you think about those enforcement actions so far? Do you feel that they were all justified or do you think maybe some of the penalties were too high too low i mean what do you feel about that so far well um thank you uh i i think you know they're they're if you like they're being tested Mm -hmm. um you know each of the data protection authorities in their respective countries are um going through a learning curve like us all and we've all been through the gdpr journey uh here in europe um started planning for this you know four 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 and a half years ago and um you know we're now into the you know we're we're now into the period of um testing what Mm -hmm. i call um you know defense uh defensible position um, so we're now sort of probing and testing just how well we we implemented some of those procedures and those processes, like those rights, but also the breach notification, etc. Um, I think the enforcement actions are, um, if you like, the the way that they're flexing their muscles, like the Portuguese DPA uh, imposed a four hundred thousand euro fine on a hospital. Um, for a lack of appropriate measures. I'm sure that the Portuguese um, DPA had many examples of what they could have gone after, but they wanted to sort of almost test it out, um, you know, before they before they went for it. Um, and, and similarly, you know, um, the very small fine from the Austrian um, in September of last year, 
for a sport betting cafe for unlawful video surveillance. So these oh. th- these aren't you know these aren't groundbreaking stuff, right? This is mm-hmm. this is we're almost testing our model out. Um, and of course, the Germans had a go um, back in uh, November of last year for a uh, a fine, a very small fine, twenty thousand euros, on a social network operator. Um, again, for failing to protect uh, users' personal data. And then the real, you know, the, the CNIL, the French um, Data Protection Authority, um, mm-hmm. true to their word, um, you know, they, they have been extremely vocal in during the entire process of um, GDPR, one of the most outspoken and, and certainly are bearing their teeth. And obviously they imposed a 50 million fine on Google back uh, for violations of transparency, notice and consent. And for me, this was, you know, this was back in January. This was the turning point. This was, this was, ah, someone's finally, you know, brave enough, if you like, to go up against the, the big uh, tech companies that um, have been so innovative and and so helpful for our communities to be connected but at the same time haven't necessarily applied the same level of you know uh transparency about what they're doing with the data where the data is and and obviously the necessary consents required for that and that's what the canil uh, the French DPA uh, focused on. Now, each of these enforcement cases uh, have, you know, they, they will appeal or have appealed, and we don't know what the end, you know, what the end will look like in, in a lot mm-hmm. of these cases. They will rumble on for, for perhaps a year, even longer. Um, but I think it's it's good that the, you know, the, 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 the data protection authorities are actually showing their teeth, t- testing it out, um, and really, you know, for us, if, if you're going to put such a such a powerful piece of regulation uh, and impose that across 28 countries uh, and, and, and technically further than that, those 28 countries in its global mm-hmm. reach, from a scope perspective, then you've got to be darn sure you've got the capabilities behind you to see through that enforcement action. So it's good to see it. I think there's more to come. Um, what it does is it keeps us on our toes. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, and, you know, what I find interesting, too, is seeing, like you said, from multiple countries, we're getting multiple actions. And what is so um, so very clearly communicated through GDPR are the rights of the individual, right, over their personal data. And so that kind of comes back to what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. I'm, I'm really curious to see how the regulators are going to go after organizations that are not meeting those data subject rights uh, aspects of giving access to individuals and having the individual, you know, be able to get a copy of all their personal data and to make corrections and to, to do the portability. So I'm wondering if maybe you could explain at a high level uh, for our worldwide listeners, what rights under GDPR that the individuals who are called the data subjects within GDPR, yeah. what yeah. articles 15, 17, and 20 give to individuals? Well, 
Look, um, this is the fundamental um, premise of the entire regulation, and that there's two there's two parts to it, and this is what I say to to all the boards that I advise. Um, it's simple, right? Uh, it basically gives back the rights to the individual that they have for so long <laughs> not been aware of or has ebbed away or just wasn't there in the first place. That's mm-hmm. the first thing it does. The second thing, and, and, and equally importantly, um, across every organization that handles personal data or, or PII, as you guys define it, um, is accountability. It's critical, you know, who is deciding what they do with that data, when, where, what, why? And that's the question that really has plagued most of these businesses that I've been working with. Why have we got the data in the first place? And then to your point, Rebecca, you know, articles 15 to 20 and beyond you know, those rights, they're, they're enshrined in law now. You know, we have the Data Protection Act uh, 2018. It was 20 years out of date for the UK. And so GDPR, um, there's a few very variations, degradations, etc. But But GDPR essentially is there. You know, the whole rights to the individual, the power back to us as consumers, as individuals, as employees is right there um, in, in the text. And so... You know, for, 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 for me, where, where I was um, working for a couple of years and, and where we really, you know, the rubber hit the ground was um, in, in a large retailer, um, which has um, huge amounts of online customers, as well as um, shops throughout the UK and, and beyond, um, we had to put in place the rights of access, the rights of erasure, or, or what's often um, typically known as the right to be forgotten, um, and the right to data portability, which just opens up whole, uh, if you like, technical kind of worms, and uh, let alone the fact that, you know, what do you want with this data? How are you going to use this data? And what format would you like this data in? So the sheer amount of work that went into making this, you know, these rights enforceable or actionable in those organizations and, and the ones that I've had the pleasure of working in has has been a mountain to climb. Well, and certainly, you know, it, it makes a an organization, it really forces them to think about the the data itself and actually specifically what data they even have that applies to uh, different individuals. And I wanted to pass along a question to you from one of my listeners, because this was based on a real life situation. And this comes from uh, one of my listeners, James, and James is located in the UK. And James writes, when a data subject submits a data subject access request, The business will typically ask them to be specific about what they're asking for so they can respond in the best way. But if the data subject simply wants a copy of everything that's held about them, the data subject and the bank, if it's a bank they're asking about, get into a question discussion, often leading to a debate perhaps about what everything means. And, you know, most of the the typical consumers when they know they're doing business with an organization they really often don't know exactly what that organization has about them so 
in this example, what would the bank be obligated to provide to one of their customers when the customer says, you know, I want you to give me a copy of everything that you, the bank, has about me? What would be their obligations there? <laughs> well, um, I mean, the, the text is clear. It, it is everything that you hold about them. Um, there are only um, certain circumstances where you can't or where you're, you're legally allowed to hold that information back. Um, think about uh, prevention of fraud um, and, you know, um, various different investigations that may, in you know, uh, inexplicably uh, link somebody else to something else. And if you're doing an investigation, then clearly... You know, uh, if you're a criminal, you might put in a subject access request and find out what's happening or if you if you were doing some sort of fraud. Um, So so in those circumstances, the bank would be quite within its rights to withhold that information. Let me just tell you one thing, though, I've learned, and that is um, you've really got to think very carefully about what what you as an organization is is prepared to give across in a, in a in a format or or you know that's acceptable to mm-hmm. to the average user so it's it's incumbent on the bank to to actually have a predefined list of the uh, fields or the um, you know the categories of data um, that they're going to provide for that customer um, and then you know, what that does, by doing that um, thinking up ahead, then James in this um, won't be, you know, challenged with with thinking about what 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 everything means because you've got both structured and unstructured data. And right, that can, right. uh, you know, that can go on forever and a day. Um, yes. So, that, so there's, a, there's a limit um, that, you you know, and, it, and it's very clear about that. Um, you know, it's as reasonable. Um, and you know, so so you've got to be very clear about when a subject access for come you know request comes in, um, that here's the list of data that we would typically provide to them. And in a, in an ideal scenario, um, James and the bank would would then um, have automated processes where that data could be sought and pulled down you know it could be home address it could be um, data about their um, credit score for example um, but but you can you can define those now if then once the submission is made and the customer or consumer is still not happy then you've got to be prepared that that's not uh, beyond uh, reasonable sort of endeavours to actually um, take that data. So you've got to be um, comfortable with your policies and your procedures about what you you think is reasonable. Um, bear in mind, this is their right. You know, it is right, their right. data, and and so you know, there's. I always apply a balance test. You know, they're, 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 it's, it's got to be it's got to be feasible. Um, if it's stuck in some archives. Uh, you know, in some backup centre um, 200 miles away, you're not going to um, reasonably go off and select, you know, some backup tapes. Um, however, you are going to have to think through very carefully. And, and I, I, you know, please, please do get advice around this from your law firm or from your mm-hmm. privacy uh, data protection expert. Um, you, you, you know, you, you want that those policies and those procedures to be fairly clear and fairly robust because they have to withstand 
um, a court, you know, or, or some sort of um, uh, potential case that that could be held against you, saying, you know, if if, if that person was really agitated. Now, mm-hmm. we had these, we had hundreds, uh, in fact, we had thousands um, of these types of requests. Um, oh. Most people uh, are after, they're typically, you know, the right to erasure, the right to data portability, less so on the data portability, but certainly the right to um, the right to subject access request mm-hmm. um, and the right to erasure is typically where we as an organization have got the data wrong and we've managed to upset the customer or the consumer because we keep calling them John instead of Jane. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so a lot of this, and this is, this is the stuff that's not written in the text. A lot of this is about, and I think you touched on it, Rebecca, because this is about good quality data. This is about really understanding why you have that data, the purposes of the data, the, you know, the processing activities that you're going to do with that data, and being absolutely clear about what you're doing with it. And if you've got that figured out, then you are in a very strong position as an organization to defend what you do give and what you don't give, what's reasonable and what's unreasonable. So, um, you know, it it, it takes a bit of thought and a bit of process um, preparation and procedural preparation. But, of course, this is now what every organization, certainly in the UK uh, and in Europe, um, are having to do. Right. Well, now let me put myself in as the customer of your bank because, um, well, gosh, uh, from a system standpoint, I mean, I started as a systems engineer. So when I would ask for everything you had about me, and I know we're getting to the end of the show here, but I think this is important because I would expect to know when did people, you know, show me when somebody actually logged into my account from online, show me the activities related to my account. Is that something that falls under this or is it purely just no. the data? No, it's not. That, that, you, you're describing metadata and, it, and, and no, it's very clear that it's just the data about the individual. Ah, okay. So I think that's a a very important point because I think that's where a lot of the IT folks trying to know how to implement all of this um, have questions because they're like, do we need to give all of that activity data to people as part of their own data too? Well, for one last question, I guess if you can give in maybe a minute's time, what is the key point about GDPR compliance, especially as it relates to organizations, the data controllers and data processors, uh, that you want them listeners to take away from listening to the show today, especially about um, individual access? Okay, so, so <laughs> wow, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, um, well, whatever you want people to remember from this show. <laughs> okay, so there's, there's, I loved your tips, okay, and I have five tips. Okay. Look, GDPR, like anything, can be broken down into its constituent parts, okay? Um, but there are five themes that are coming through, and those five themes I would urge you to think about. Accountability, rights security, training and awareness, and demonstrating compliance. Okay, so let, let me just rep- just touch on each of those very quickly. Um, 
yeah. your accountability. You need to know who has access to what and where and why. You need to have your RACI, you need to have the correct governance procedure, your quality procedures, your, your authorization procedures in place, up and running and working. Rights. You need to know that you're dealing with those deletion requests, those subject access requests, or freedom of information requests. Uh, if, if if you're a public authority, um, you know you've got to have those procedures in place, tested, up and running, within 30 days. Okay, so that's really important because otherwise yeah. you will start to aggravate people, and you will get complaints, and then you'll right, get investigated. Right. And we're yeah. almost out of time here so the last few okay security um privilege access critical infrastructure applications all of the stuff you mentioned before the training awareness making sure you've got the right people in the right place formally trained you know your champions and then finally demonstrating compliance do you have a data protection officer nominated doesn't have to be full-time employee it could be even a third party are you monitoring this and how are you demonstrate that demonstrating that you've risk assessed you've captured those and you're putting the right controls that are proportionate and appropriate to those risks and that's well, what's about those five things thank you so much and you know steve i'll have to have you back on so we can continue nice. this conversation uh, today today i've been speaking with steve wright ceo of the privacy culture and gdpr expert uh, please send feedback about this show do you want to hear more about this topic did you find the information we provided helpful let me know, please. And please tune into the show each week. If you can't make our schedule live time, you'll be able to listen to the recordings. And I urge you to stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work, or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and work for if they are doing all that they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.